0: You know, in some churches, when right before the speaker comes on, there's such an emphasis on just use the time that's available, followed by a psalm that says, let your words be few. I take that as a strong hint. (laughs) But uh, I do appreciate very much the the spirit of worship and uh, Doug uh, being moved to talk about those things. I do want to be fairly brief this morning because I'm just the warm-up. We have a couple of other speakers, uh, Rebecca and Jeff Stegge, coming to To speak to you about their story and so i want to make just a few remarks and then give the rest of the time over to them um let's ask the lord lynn you can go ahead and put the verse up on there and then i'm going to let's ask the lord for his holy spirit's direction to continue lord god i I do pray that uh, your words would be the words we hear um spoken out loud or spoken directly to our hearts by your spirit um Lord, I pray that you would help us to see ourselves as you see us, uh, very honestly and completely. I pray this in your name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We cannot help but dwell on this verse from James 1, Religion that our God our Father con- accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. James is a very practical book, epistle, that he, that he wrote. How do we live the Christian life? And so I want to look at this today as we're focusing on orphans. We're going, to talk about, um, we're going to talk about every one of us and our status as orphans before God the Father. But I don't want the emphasis to shift off of the very real needs of orphans physically in the world. And so we're going to try to put those two together today. Now, children become orphans in very many ways sometimes the reasons for that are acts of great selfishness they may be that i don't have time for this child or i i just don't want this child or 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 something else and there are cases where that happens our children are neglected and and the system has to take them or something but that also is not necessarily the most common way that children become orphans sometimes they 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 become orphans as, a, as an act of desperate hope, rooted in love. Some of the things that Rick talked about earlier is that the, the physical condition that a parent knows they can't take care of. Maybe it's an unwed mother in a desperate circumstance. Maybe she's being forced by others to give up a child. Maybe she's been forced um, just by the circumstances themselves. It does not mean that an orphan child is an unloved child by their parents. There's also many that are made orphans where their parents have no choice in the matter because they're dead through war, through disease. AIDS has created more orphans in modern times than most other causes. And so there are orphans all around us. Why should we care? Why should we care about orphans? And why should Christians in particular Be the first to care for them. As it said in that verse, to care for widows and orphans in their distress. Why would he mention widows and orphans? And scripture does this several times together. They represent in our societal structures the most defenseless. Often defenseless before the law, defenseless in terms of property, defenseless in terms of help, defenseless in in so many different ways. They are orphans And what we would have to say in the end, whether people deliberately choose or not to make orphans, people become orphans because of the ravages of sin in our world. The ravages of sin through one cause or another causes to be orphans. What we see in God's very character, that care for the defenseless is something he defines as the core of his own character. I've got a number of verses that I've chosen not to put up on the screens today, so I'll just give you the the passages and read those to you. Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 18, he says this, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. We understand all that. He is God of gods Lord of lords. And the very next thing he says, he defends the cause of the fatherless And the widow and loves the foreigner, giving him food and clothing. It is part of God's very character to defend the defenseless. He even follows up in verse 19 to tell Israel, because this is being spoken by Moses uh, just before the end of his life. He says, and you're to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. What we see as God's people, we are his hands and feet to carry out his desires, But even more than that, he is using their own situation to remind them, this is what you came from. This is why you should care for others like yourselves. And in cases like this, we see God uses physical needs to point to spiritual needs. He does not separate them in any way, and neither do we. When we feed the hungry, we go and we feed those who are physically hungry, But we also are aware that they have a spiritual need and a spiritual hunger, which we must also meet. And too many times we try to take an argument which is is specious because we say, I'm going to, should I feed their, meet their physical needs or should I meet their spiritual needs? Well, should I live a life that's based in the physical? Should I live a life that's in the spiritual? Even in the history of the church, we've gone to things like that and said, well... I'm going to remove myself from the physical, and I'm going to concentrate on the spiritual. I'm going to withdraw to a life of meditation. No, it's great to get closer to God, but it never removes our connection to the physical world. He has put us in time for a purpose to do His work. We can also go and say it's more important to meet their physical needs than to meet... They can't even care about their spiritual needs. I'm just going to pour all my effort into meeting their physical needs. What? So they can live a little longer before they go to hell. There's no way to separate those two. And what we find is when we take and we meet someone's spiritual needs, it begins a relationship by which we can also meet their spiritual needs. And they are not separate. They always go together. Our care for orphans is that we go to those who are defenseless and those who need families. I love Psalm 68, verse 5 and the beginning of verse 6. Again, God is talking about himself and he describes himself as this. A father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. God sets the lonely in families. Now that's much larger than the orphan child. God does that with adults as well. Many of you have experienced at different times in your life feeling like an orphan, feeling like one who's alone in a place and needing the care of friends and the support, we have an opportunity to do just that here with those who are orphaned from everything that they know and from their support system and people coming in all the time. But most of all, when we care for the fatherless, we're doing so as those who have already been adopted ourselves by the Lord In Romans 5, 6 through 8, it says this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were the defenseless, Christ died. Died for us. Yes, there are several million orphans in this world, but truly there are more than six billion that begin as orphans needing the love of a father whom they do not know because of the ravages of sin. We all begin that way. By the blessings of God, some of us are placed in families with our birth parents who know and love the Lord and raise them by the grace of God. Many of us are placed in those families through adoption physically so we can understand adoption spiritually. There is always a connection between the physical and the spiritual. Now, I also appreciate what Rick said, and you'll see, you're going to hear things in layers today over and over because these are just the core truths of this matter. He talked about the physical uh, damage that occurs even in the womb for some of these children that are then given up and in many cases those are desperate acts the child is given by someone who has no means to care for that child themselves in hopes that through the orphan system they'll be given the life-saving care they need and they are and you see these pictures of children with the external uh, digestive system or with the cleft palates and other things and then you see these other pictures also posted in these different agencies of that child after the surgeons have gone in And their hands have have taken those things and made right what God intended in the first place. And there's an image of God in that. The surgeon sees before he ever takes that child and puts them on the operating table. He sees what they are to be. He sees them complete and whole. Or she sees them complete and whole. When we look at ourselves spiritually, and some of you may be in this orphan status today. You don't know a father. You don't know a father's love. Like father God. Who is there for us. There are two people we must always remember. If you know him. If you have been adopted by him. If you've come into his family. There are still two people. We must remember. There are two persons. You must remember about yourself. Who would you be. If not for the grace of God. Who would you be. If not for the grace of God in your life. If you think of the worst person you can imagine today, or the worst historical figure, but for the grace of God, that's you or that's me. If you think of a child on the streets of Beijing or Calcutta or in Africa, in South America, living hand to mouth, trying to survive, preyed on by different gangs, and Pedophiles and others, if not for the grace of God, that could be you, that could be me. We must remember the person we would be without the grace of God. And that moves us with a heart of compassion to care for those that could be us. And the other person we must always remember is the person that God sees us to be when His grace is made complete in us. When His grace is made complete, right now, if you've been saved and reborn, By the Spirit of God, you're in a process called sanctification. But that process had a beginning in that rebirth. It has an ending in the presence of the Lord. That's called glorification. We are made into His image. We must remember how God sees us. His love for us sees us in His perfection of everything that He intended us to be. And he writes that story into our physical lives over and over through this process of adoption. We see the child that comes from these broken circumstances, sometimes a broken body, made whole and loved and cared for and made complete as far as is humanly possible for us in that love. You may have come from, you may have had a family background where you feel, even though you had a loving parent's, or you had a difficult situation that you're still longing for that love. God brings us into his family. He puts the lonely in families and he cares for us. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6 says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. No matter how smooth or difficult your own family background, you've been chosen by a perfect father to be made, to be remade as his very own child. The other question is, how should we care for orphans? And there's much better materials than I would offer this morning. I love the, the bookmark. That uh, you were given, that I just set aside here. The bookmark you were given has several very practical ways. But I would say this James goes on to say in chapter 2, verse 14, How good is it, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, it is not, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. We must care for orphans substantially. It's not enough to gather information or to feel sorry. We must meet their needs, not just our needs. If I feel sorry for someone and say, God has pricked at my heart and has moved me to care for someone, that helps me when I then go and learn more about it. And I say, well, I'm concerned and I, and I care for them. But that's the beginning place. It has to work its way out into deeds that actually accomplish that impulse that he's put within. We mustn't separate beliefs from actions. He goes on to say, someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. He says, show me your faith without deeds. I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe there is one God. Good. That's the base level. Even the demons believe that and shudder. But it is doing the works of God that he has poured into us, we then pour into others. And he asked, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Sometimes we talk about Abraham, and he goes on to talk about Abraham sacrificing Isaac or going to the altar. And there's a lot of debate sometimes. Doesn't God know the heart? Doesn't God know the desires? When Abraham gave in his heart, gave Isaac over to God and said, yes, I am willing to sacrifice my only son, my son born when I was 100 years old by miraculous birth, the only heir to the promises you've given me, but you say go and sacrifice him to you on a mountain. Abraham went. Couldn't God have stopped him and said the intent of his heart was enough? That is not the way God works. God knows in advance what must actually happen for it to be real to us. And so it says that Abraham went, he took his son, he took the knife, he took the wood. They didn't take a lamb because Isaac was to be the sacrifice. Did Abraham struggle in himself? Probably every step of the way. I don't think he even told Sarah his intentions. But he got all the point to the point of laying the wood on the altar, binding his son, and raising the knife. And God stopped his hand. And it says this. Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions were working together. His faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. He was called God's friend. The physical proves the spiritual. The physical deeds prove what's in our hearts. And God wants us to have those to hold on to. And So we just ask this. Orphanages need visitors, yes. Those, because God works through those visits to open our hearts, but they need volunteers as well. Not just to go and see because that helps us, but to go and do because that helps them. Agencies need friendship. But they also need finances. They need praise, but they also need prayer support. And orphans need families, both physically and spiritually, like this one. I want to give the rest of this time over to let Jeff and Rebecca share how God has worked this in their own journey.
1: Hello? Okay. I think you can see the picture back there, but Mark asked us if we would be willing to come this morning and just share a little bit about the journey that the Lord brought us on um, in the process of adopting our two sons, Isaac and David. Um, Just a little background we've been here for 13 and 17 years, respectively. Here in China, we have four kids. Um, Miriam and Isaac are six, and Elijah and David are five. Um, Mm -hmm. And so about almost four years ago now was kind of the beginning of the journey for us. Um, It didn't start like you might expect. It started with neither one of us having any inclination at all to adopt children. We had two, and that seemed plenty. (laughs) And... um, I had a lot of friends, though, that had a lot of a heart for adoption, and they talked about how one day they might want to adopt, and kind of felt like, am I missing something? Should I be thinking about this? Should I be wanting to adopt? And did a couple nights' worth of Googling of adoption from China and concluded, nope. I'm very happy with my life the way it is. I, I prayed, and I said, Lord, I have no heart for this. I'm like, I mean, I, I feel bad for them. I hope they find a family, but I just don't have any desire for that to be my family, and I was like, and so if someday you want to change my heart, you can. But otherwise, you know, I'll be happy for all of my friends when they decide they're going to adopt. Um, and a- as it would have it, that night I was at a small group, and I had a friend of mine that, at the end of the night, she's like, "Oh, you guys, do you remember when I told you that I read this book and it totally changed my heart towards adoption? I meant to give it to this friend, and then I forgot, and then I was going to do it with this and." and But I just remembered it today, and I thought, I'd bring it in case anyone wants to read it. I think I said, I hate you. Give me the book. (laughs) 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 Um, But I took the book, and I read it, and it really wasn't so much about adoption. It was more about faith, but the Lord used it to show me that, for me, the reasons my barriers to adopting were really about my own comfort and control and how it felt really out of control to consider adopting because, you know, it's... It's just it's it's hard, and you have to have all this money, and I don't have any money. And then you adopt this child, and they tell you they have one set of issues, but who knows? Who knows what's really going on? And and it's just so messy and complicated. And it felt like so many possibilities that it could end badly, that it could just not be what I wanted with my life, that I just don't want to do it. And the Lord was just kind of like, is that is that really how you want to live? for all of the things that you think you can control that you can't even control anyways, but to get to the end of your life and like, look, I made it relatively safe and comfortable and there was nothing too outside of my boxes that I had to do. And I was like, no, <laughs> that really isn't. Um, you know, I, it was kind of like, I don't know how it's all going to end. I don't, there's not enough guarantees. And the Lord is like, if I was in it and you knew that I was calling you to it, could you do it even if you didn't know how it was all going to turn out? Even if it's possible that it could go just as badly as you were afraid it was, if I was in it, would that be enough? Would that be okay? And the Lord just really stirred my heart to say, yeah, I want that to be enough. I want to be able to say yes if you called me to it. And I was like, huh, maybe, maybe someday. Maybe someday we'll adopt. Who knows? And I put down my book, and I picked up my computer to start working, and it was like the Lord just kind of said to me, remember, remember the picture of that one little boy? that you saw when you were flipping through the websites? I was like, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's your son. That's the little boy that I want you to adopt. And I said, oh, no, it's not. (laughs) I don't know very little about this process, but that's not how it works, and that's not what I meant. And no, there's no possibility that this is going to happen like that. You you have to fill out all this paperwork. You have to do all these things, and then they match you. And you can't, even if I wanted to, which I don't, you can't. I'm like, I don't even know where the website was, you know, but went and spent about an hour looking back tracing, trying to figure out where the website even was, and went and finally pulled up the the picture that the Lord, which is that one there on the screen that you see, Um, in his adoption file, there was that picture, and, and just kind of a little description of him, and I looked at that picture, and I went, I don't have a category for this right now, because some people are those kind of people but I'm not that kind of person but that is totally my little boy and I know it and Jeff is going to hate me <laughs> but I was like but I, and, and I read then went on to read the information they actually gave me about him and I was like holy cow there's no way I mean normally there's no way Like the, the special needs that they say he has are ones that we couldn't even stay in China if that was true there's just no way But inexplicably to me, that doesn't do anything to change the fact that I know that this is my little boy. So I went and I said, hey, can we talk sometime, Jeff? (laughs) And uh, I I started telling him kind of about reading the book and how it had changed my heart. And he was like, okay, we can pray about that, meaning please forget about that idea. Um, And I was like, there's something more the Lord's been showing me, but you just think about that for now. He's like, just tell it all to me. I'm like, I don't think you want me to. He's like, just tell me. So pulled up the computer, pulled up the picture, and I'm like, see the picture of that little boy? It's possible the Lord is calling us to adopt him. And he started to hyperventilate and said, I think I'm going to be sick. And, <laughs> um, But then the Lord just kind of worked in his heart in that process, too. But.
2: Yes, so um, back up briefly. Is it on? You can hear me. Okay, uh, so I also had... No desire to adopt. Uh, in fact, I was quite happy with two. Uh, uh, quite overwhelmed with two, in fact. Um, uh, but um, through the process of seeing, like, uh, at first I was angry. Um, uh, and, I mean, largely because, you know, maybe I'd be open to think about adopting at some point in way, 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 way down the road. Um uh, but then uh, when she came to me and said, this might be the the little boy that the Lord is calling us to adopt, and I looked at his picture, and I looked at the name, the file description of him, and, like, you are this is really going to change our lives. Um, I don't think I can handle that. Uh, but over the course of the next few days, I uh, was praying about it, um, and realized that there's only really two possibilities of what's going on here one is that my wife is going insane Um, and she is acting very oddly Um, or that Jesus is actually talking to her about this Um, and I realized that when when people go insane um, they get selfish Uh, you cling to what you have and you cling to what's yours Uh, but when Jesus talks, you go crazy in a whole different way, Um, and this just smelled like Jesus. This didn't smell like crazy. This smelled like Jesus, Um, uh, and if Jesus is going to call us to do something, I don't think I'm going to get in the way of that, even though I have no desire to do this, Um, so Processed through it and thought about it a little bit, and then we also just looked at his file a little bit more and got some help and realized maybe he's not as sick as this file says that he is. Uh, he seems to be growing, and and that helped us a lot to be a little bit more confident. But the, you never know. You, know. you never know what what's going on. This kid. The only thing that we knew, Jesus said, "Do this." All right, let's let's proceed. Um, Uh, So we began the process of uh, signing up to doing the home study and all this stuff to adopt David. Uh, And right at the end of the process, in about the last month before we were going to go get David, we discovered that that other little boy in the picture, uh, the the taller boy, had been living in the same foster home with David for a while. Uh, So... We started to feel like, oh, are we are we separating a family here? Like, are they already a family? And I was like, uh, I, I don't I'm not comfortable with that. Uh, but uh, they told us, you know, that we if we want to if we want to think about adopting the older boy as well, uh, that we would need to decide that before we adopt David, so that we can have our home study at the same time and save about six months worth of work. Uh, so. But Rebecca was like, this time she's not going to be the one who says God told us. Uh, it had to come from me. Uh, so I spent some time praying about it. Um, and it was basically on the last day before we had to decide, are we not going to adopt the older boy, um, that I was walking across the road after having spent some time in prayer. And the Lord showed me how he felt about adoption. Um, that when you when you adopt, you take a, a kid from one whole fate that's just dark, and there's very little hope, um, and you give them a hope, you give them a future, just like he does for us. Um, and I could have told you that before, but I felt that then uh, and just wept there in the middle of the road. I don't know what everybody thought was wrong with me. Um, but I, I saw it, and I felt it. Um, where before it had just been faith <laughs> to, or just before I started to feel it and understand it. Um, through the process of that day felt that the Lord was not commanding us but inviting us. Saying if if you want to bring the older one home as well then then y- you can do that and, and, and I'll be bless- a blessing to you as you do that. So I came home and told Rebecca that and she was like well you know if God is inviting us to do something, why would we say no to him? His invitations are always good. So, And then we decided that we would adopt Isaac as well. Uh, we adopted, uh, we went, we got David, um, and six months later we went to, or nine months later, went to go get Isaac, and Rebecca will tell you a little bit more about our process and that.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's some of the journey of how we got to the place of deciding to adopt Isaac and David Um, but as we were talking about it it's like we really want to share just a, a little tiny little brief though idea of the ongoing journey that it's been because I think the common response when we share some of our story of how we decided to adopt them is people go wow you have four little kids I wow that is amazing that you can do that I could not do that and I think the thing that I have a really hard time convincing people but is utterly true is that I can't do it any more than you could have. I don't have it in me to, to parent these four kids and to do it well and to be successful at it. And I think, you know, we talk about this, the you know, the, the amazement of taking these children and taking them from one destiny and moving them to another and how God— did that in the act of salvation, but I think for us in the journey of adopting these boys, it's realizing that that is what God is continuing to do for us, that this process and this journey of adoption is certainly about them, but it's just as much about who we are and what he's doing in our hearts in that, because I think I sort of expected, hey, we're stepping out in faith, we're bringing these boys home, and they're going to get there, and it's just going to feel like this glorious you know, redemptive story. And honestly, when we brought him home, it felt like drowning. I was just like, oh my gosh. (laughs) I cannot do that. I mean, I really mean I can't do this. And I'm like in all of this anger and all of this just frustration and just every day just felt like there are so many needs and there are so many people in my home who have them and that doesn't ever stop. And I can't do it. I'm like, I I had this vision in my mind of if I was going to really love these children and embrace them and make us a family, you know, what I would do. And instead, I'm like, we don't yell, you know, and I'm just yelling. And I'm like, what is going on? What is this coming out of me? And it was just this, it was really hard. And it wasn't at all like I expected. And I remember thinking, okay, Lord, I, I kind of thought I would be inadequate to do this, but I sort of thought you would make me adequate. That was the deal we'd signed up for. I do this thing and then you give me everything I need in order to be able to do this well. And it was like wrestling with the fact that the Lord is like, I didn't actually sign that agreement. You only thought I did. But I'm not promising to make you adequate for this. I'm not promising to take you and make you this great mom who has capacity for all of the needs of your children. But what I will do is I will sit with you in your inadequacy. I will let you be inadequate and I will love you anyways. I won't, I won't make you super mom. I won't give you the capacity that you think you need. Um, and I realize that being privileged to journey in this adoption isn't about whether or not I'm adequate. Um, you don't have to be adequate <laughs> to do it. But you have to be willing to be inadequate. And I think sometimes that's the harder of the two things to choose, at least for me, because I really want to get it right. And I really want to do it well. And I feel like it's just been this breaking process of me. And just this revealing of how much sin and need for control and the things that drive me and the ways that that has to be and the Lord being like, I won't give you success, but I'll give you myself. And I just feel like in this process, I haven't become this fantastic mother to hold up this, you know, wow, look at her. But I've become somebody that knows something of Jesus that I didn't before. I've experienced him in ways that I didn't. Um, And I know something about grace that I didn't because I need it so much more desperately than i realized i did and so just the journey of it of this adoption isn't just about them but it's about us um and it's people are like oh they're so lucky <laughs> people tell us all, all the time about the boys and i'm like no we're the ones that are blessed this is this is for us as well and not not just for them
2: yeah um I'd say exactly the same thing. Um, I thought before this whole process began that I was a good father. Um, I discovered no, actually, I'm not. Um, I am totally inadequate to be the father of four small children. Um, nobody should have given no, if it w- if, if I, nobody should have given me four kids to take care of. It's really just shouldn't have happened, but. It was God's plan, uh, and, and he is taking care of us and helping us to grow um, and to learn more about him in the process, and it's, that's been amazing um, to be crushed and <laughs> brought out. Uh, and he shows the gospel to us, and he's been showing the gospel to others as well. Uh, I didn't know it from the beginning, but what we've found is that when we share this with uh, the people around us, that is the gospel for them. Uh, they and seeing our family, they see the gospel lived out among our neighbors, amongst the, the people that I teach. It's been amazing to see them respond so.